0: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.
1: The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list.
0: we've got a great one today. You know, for a change, Jim Downey is with me. Who's Jim Downey? In my mind, the greatest writer in the history of SNL. That's because I worked with Jim for 14 seasons, and Jim went on to write for many seasons more. And I don't know the writers who came after uh, my time at the show. I mean, John Mulaney did, some other others too who are great writers. But Jim and I wrote a lot of the political stuff on the show during our time together there, and so did others, of course. But in this, we we discuss how we approached our writing for a live sketch comedy show where you can comment on that week's events using great sketch artists like Dan Aykroyd and Phil Hartman and Dana Carvey to play the president. Or if on a Thursday, uh, Surgeon General Joycelyn Elder said, We should teach masturbation in our schools. You could have Ellen Claghorn speak directly to camera to comment on that. That's what you can do with a live sketch show. Jim had a motto for the political sketches that we wrote that went something like this. Reward people for knowing stuff, but don't punish them for not knowing stuff. Well... After I left, Jim wrote the Bush-Gore debate sketch, the one where Will Ferrell, as W, summed up his campaign with strategery. George W. Bush had never said strategery. That was Jim. And you'll hear me make the case that Daryl Hammond's gore, and Jim basically taught Daryl his gore, and Daryl, by the way, one of the great impressionists ever. But I make the case that that sketch elected Bush, who won by a little over 500 votes in Florida. And I put one in quotes because it was one vote in the Supreme Court. 5-4. That's what won it for Bush. Just think about that. Gore accepted that. And think about the contrast (laughs) with Trump. My God. My God. But anyway... Uh, Jim worked with uh, some great casts that included the the first one with Jane Lorraine and Gilda and Belushi, Aykroyd, uh, Garrett Morris and Chevy, and then Bill Murray. That was it. For those first five years, we had just seven cast members at the time, and Jim and I talk about the advantages of having a small cast. Later, Jim and I and uh, Tom Davis, I hope you remember Tom, who was my comedy partner for many years, we worked with other great casts, with folks like Carvey and Hartman and Kevin Nealon and Jan Hooks and Nora Dunn, Chris Farley, Adam Sandler, and Mike Myers. Jim went on and produced and wrote for the Norm MacDonald uh, Weekend Updates, and we talk about Jim and Norm being fired. He worked with uh, great cast members like Jason Sudeikis and Keenan Thompson, Will Forte, Bill Hader and Fred Armisen and, and great women cast members like Amy Poehler, Maya Rudolph, Kristen Wiig, and Tina Fey, who wasn't officially a cast member and a guest star. I, I I'm sure I'm leaving some great ones out, but mainly we talk about ourselves and the work we did at the show, and I think you'll enjoy this one with Jim Downey. You know, for a change. The best way to learn a language, immersion, living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way, and that's with Babbel. (laughs) Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses have helped me learn real-life conversation in German. For example, let's say you wanted to order soup with your dinner. Die Suppe würde mir auch gefallen. That means the soup. <laughs> that, means, that means I would also like the soup. And that way, I get soup with dinner. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, Get up to 60% off your Babel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Franken. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash Franken, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash Franken. Rules and restrictions may apply.
1: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash-switch. Forty-five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows full turns at mintmobile.com.
0: How many sketches do you
2: think the two of us wrote together? Well, I was running some numbers, and, and you figure we would do twenty to twenty-two shows a year. A year, and. We would often have like three pieces at read through. We yeah. sometimes had three pieces on the show. That's right. That happened more than once. So I'm going to guess if you average two, it's it's a couple hundred for sure. 300 maybe? And we, I got to say, wrote some of the great <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we did. But and occasionally we would even write things that wouldn't get on. Yes. So there's if you want to throw those
0: in, maybe like... 375 or something? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stuff that didn't get on. But let's talk about the stuff that people maybe saw. We did a lot of the political sketches. Sure. You had a motto, which I'm going to paraphrase because I'm not sure this is right, but uh, it was reward. This is a maxim, I'd say. Yeah, a maxim. That's good. Uh, Reward people who know stuff, right? And don't punish them for not knowing stuff.
2: Don't punish our audience because they know something. Explain this because... Um... Well, for example, I, I, the other night we were talking about this, and, and I, um, the example I gave was that you could have written, I think, a funny piece. It's possible to write a funny piece premised on Barack Obama being a huge drunk. Mm-hmm. You know, like him like stumbling around. But but
0: people who know anything about Barack Obama and politics knows the more
2: you know about Barack Obama, the more confused and 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 not entertained he would be. Whereas if you didn't know anything about politics, you that was hilarious. Michelle trying to help him stand on his feet, and oh, that was great. And then, but it was the it would be the poor people who actually knew things who were in torment. Well, because he was sort of. He was the coolest guy. He was, who was also ever president. that. No, that that's not a problem he had. Yeah, you could do an impression of him. Mm-hmm. Although he was a little tough in the sense that he had that rich baritone voice,
0: and, well, and you can do
2: that. Well, yeah, yes, but there but were some the, very good impressions some,
0: here. There's a difference between impressions of uh, celebrities and and politicians. And uh, embodying them like Aykroyd would uh, embody whoever Absolutely. he did. That and ba- Aykroyd one of the great cast members. Absolutely, I mean, there's no no better cast member
2: ever. He's you know he's also because it was so early on. I mean, all the cast were very different. You know, Billy was a different kind of cast member, but Danny, in terms of the precision and the
0: <laughs>
2: the the range. By the way, he could also do dead-on sound-alike impressions, but then— but there are
0: some impressionists who can do unbelievably great impressions, but aren't sketch players Jim, in Jim the Morris,
2: the, the political impressions he would do, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, Danny,
2: um, A, he created characters, which were original— He Buzz Miller. With. Yeah. And, he and he sold uh, the bag of glass. Great impressions. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, is, he was— Remember, uh, uh, Jane Curtin would interview him, and he— had uh,
2: Dangerous Toys. That's right. I worked on those. You guys, you and Tom did the E. Buzz Miller's art classics. We occasionally would go, do E. Buzz Miller. Okay, now do Erwin Mainway.
0: <laughs> That's right. It was the same character. I, I get them confused because I think Erwin Mainway did A Bag of Glass. It was sale- selling Dangerous Toys. Yes, that was Erwin uh, like and pla- then it, like a big like plastic bag <laughs> for kids. And I
2: remember one of my <laughs> earliest jokes that I was very proud of was it was unsafe Halloween costumes. And it was Johnny <laughs> Invisible Pedestrian. <laughs> and it was a little black suit with black ski mask <laughs> and black gloves. <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, let's recall our best jokes. Yeah. Uh, uh, we'll be here all day. it <laughs> be a 5 um,
2: I remember in Ebuzz Miller's Art Classics, <laughs> mm-hmm. which is one of my all-time favorite pieces. I didn't work on the piece. You guys did, wrote it. But Me and Tom. But, yeah, yeah, you and Tom. But he has a, a Titian painting there, and it's like, uh, and the artist's
0: name, honest to God, Titian. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Believe it or not, I'm very proud of that joke. That's a great joke. I'm sure it was Tom, so I think it was Tom. But, so. And I remember the theme music was from a porno
2: film, right? <laughs> was it?
0: Yeah. <laughs> and uh, his sidekick was was Lorraine. Christy Christina. <laughs> yes, who was a stripper. Yeah. I saw Lorraine just uh, a few months back in yeah. L.A. I keep in keep, uh, touch with uh, Lorraine. Uh, so- I think you uh, elected. I've told you this. I think you elected George W. Bush. Oh yeah. Well. Okay. Here's my theory on this. Uh, you wrote the debate sketch between Will Ferrell as and Bush, Bush and Daryl as Al Gore. In it, this this is where strategery comes from. I think That's people right. think that strategery was actually that he said it. That Bush actually said it, but no, it comes from that sketch. Right, and it was sum up. I guess your campaign or uh, uh, what was the
2: some could you in a could you each of the candidates in a single word sum up the best um you know argument for your election and and Bush is just, strategic <laughs> <laughs> and then of course says
0: lockbox but um okay now the reason that I say this is everyone knew that Bush had was challenged a little bit in language, right? Yeah. My My theory on this was that everybody knew sort of the caricature, and no one really saw sort of Gore's foibles.
2: Well, well Gore was also a more distinctive character. I mean, there was at least a tendency. Bush had already been portrayed on the show mm-hmm. by Will. I didn't write those pieces, but in, in the a couple of years preceding, and... It did sort of fall into a, you know, dumb kind of put up by Texas businessmen as they're, you know, not a, whereas Gore had a little more intellectual heft and (laughs) depth behind him. But Gore was also a much more interesting, I mean, he had a, a very distinctive speech pattern. And Bush, you know, you've seen a lot of people do Bush and it's a kind of a generic, like, Texas accent. We had like five different people play George W. Bush on Saturday Night Live at various times. And, and everyone you know they were doing I thought a more generic Bush thing. Whereas like when Daryl did Gore it was very what. what can you do him doing well, Gore? Well I, I actually kind of taught him the Gore because I just started <laughs> I, it's, it's been
0: so many years.
2: been 23.
0: Well this six, is so interesting to me because you you think Gore would have been Easier. Not easier, but more interesting. More interesting to, to me.
2: caricatures. There were other reasons why it would have been better if he had won. <laughs> yeah. Well, there is, that's One, why I blame the war in Iraq on you. That's not fair. But, okay, but Gore, that was a Gore bad had idea. that thing where he talked like that. He had, <laughs> um, my plan, Jim, is different. in <laughs> my plan, um, <laughs> it, it, it was kind of breathy. Anyway, so I remembered working with Daryl, Daryl Hammond. Yes. I should, yeah, I shouldn't do shorthand here. He, um, Daryl was a genius, impressionist, but he tended to work from the, I don't know how I want to describe it, from maybe the inside out, like with little tiny observations mm-hmm. that he would like pile on one on the other and assemble it. It's like a <laughs> fontalist painter, you know, just, whereas I'm like a, a big stroke kind of cartoon, broad stroke kind of person. So I was working from the outside in and he was working from the inside out to sort of— And the know, result was— The result was, I thought, a really good gore impression. And that was one of the reasons that people were more surprised at the gore than they
0: were at the bush. Yeah, and it was—it made fun of him sighing in the debate, right?
2: Yeah, and
0: being but also also a little
2: yes, a little supercilious, a little know-it-all-ish. I remember there was one joke where they put up on the screen a quote from Bush that was so syntactically mangled and everything that even Bush didn't know what it meant. (laughs) So they they have the quote, and Chris Parnell is playing Jim Lehrer, and he. Reads the quote and and the joke was he you read this garbled thing and he goes what did you mean by that and then Bush is kind of perplexed and could it be education and then and then Gore like steps in and and explains what Bush was trying to say and yeah. and Bush goes bingo that was it that was it that's exactly he that that's right and there were there was you know some some other little things that he liked to do but like I say I. And I think you and I both, when we were writing together, we our prime directive was to be funny. Within that, not to be stupid, right? Yep. To be funny to not confuse or <laughs> or unduly trouble the smarter audience by saying <laughs> things that made no sense <laughs> yep. or weren't true. Yes. But but on the other hand, you know, bring along people who weren't particularly interested in politics, right? Because you knew whenever whenever a political sketch came on, there was a chunk of the audience was like, "Okay, not for me." It was the most narrow casty stuff we did on the show.
0: I disagree. I think it was something that people really looked for because the thing about a live sketch show, and Saturday Night Live is basically the is the only live yeah. sketch show, is that you're the only people who can re- respond to what Absolutely. happened that week and comment on it or make it funny which is as you say the prime directive but make it funny in a way that what we prided ourselves was that we rewarded people with new stuff and yeah, didn't or punish people who did maybe didn't didn't punish them
2: We <laughs> weren't trying to please them we were we were just we're trying to make them laugh Well like that you you we're trying to you
0: please the Wall Street Journal editorial board oh. did, I, we were talking about this and and you said you did a piece with who was playing Timothy Geithner?
2: Will Forte, and this was probably well, it would have been after this has Obama be... was elected, so it had to be. I'm going to say t- 2009. Or okay,
0: now Tim Geithner was the Treasury, tre- Secretary. the Treasury Secretary, and you wrote a piece that rewarded. <laughs> the Wall Street Journal wrote an e- editorial about it. it. Was no one remembers this sketch? But I, no one y- could. You possibly. told me I, that I wrote it, and I barely remember it.
2: <laughs> the basic joke was it was. Um, it was him proposing his plans for addressing the systemic banking crisis, and <laughs> and the, okay, the first joke. First of all, joke, okay. that, that's the joke was basically like, um, we're going to set aside a fund of you know something a fund of fifty million dollars that that'll be raised. And he was explaining how they would you know offsets and how they would you know make room for that amount. And and we will give that to the person who can come up with a plan <laughs> to solve the systemic but along the way he was explaining the nature of it and, and about how the markets are tightening up. But anyway, you know, there was no money to lend because uh we, we were trying to control inflation and tighten the money supply, and therefore you couldn't. You couldn't start. You <laughs> okay, know. this is a anyway, sketch. So the Wall Street a Journal sketch. Wall Street Journal wrote a little <laughs> blurb about it, saying the sketch was not particularly funny, but it was remarkably accurate about <laughs> about, about in its description of the um, uh, of the crisis and its causes. <laughs> so I I kind of I have that somewhere in my
0: little scrapbook. Only you would get a, rev- a review. I mean, they, didn't, they didn't, weren't singling you out. But okay. oh, By the way, I did want to mention one thing about strategery
2: yes. right, because you re- made me remember this. It's true that, like, at one point, even George W. Bush thought he'd said it. <laughs> and then it, okay. came, it became like a popular thing, I understand, in Washington. And the Bush White House started calling their briefing or their meeting strategery sessions and sure. so on. And then there was point, we got, uh, uh, the show got contacted, was contacted, by the Oxford English Dictionary. They were considering putting it in there, because they have a thing where they add new, like selfie stick sure. or something, you know. Oh, yeah. But I don't think they ever, it didn't make
0: the cut. <laughs> it was, but it was like, <laughs> oh, oh man, almost made the OED. Uh, well, speaking of doing stuff that week, I mean, in other words. Uh, oh, so
2: again,, I mean, I, but this is an in yes. interruption, this is an amplification, but you, you, you <laughs> were saying, no, but you were saying that uh, it's so true that so many of the things about Saturday Night Live make it more difficult. You know, everything's harder. I mean we, we do it live, so there's a lot of mistakes. We you know miss camera shots, blown lines, things like that. Um, we don't have the time for rehearsal, you know et cetera, et cetera. But one of the few advantages we have is, that we can, something can happen Friday night and we can address it on
0: Saturday. That yeah, like, one of, the, one of the very few advantages. Uh, like Elders, Joycelyn Elders can say that we should teach masturbation. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't remember was that a Friday night thing. That was uh, a Thursday or Friday thing and so Ellen Claghorn played her and... Right. And uh, so, you know, you go like, how can you not do a cold opening with Joycelyn Elders if you're not taking advantage of the, you know, your ability to
2: do that weak kind of topicality, it's like... Why do you exist? Well, it's like having a first baseman who's a terrible hitter. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just yeah. like, what's, okay, what's the point with that? I remember having discussions where we'd be writing something like on a Friday night, mm-hmm. and we would actually, well, will people know it by tomorrow? We were almost worried about... Yeah, I mean Friday night wasn't necessarily the best. You're probably better off with like Wednesday, well, Thursday. Well, let's talk about
0: Friday night, and let's talk about Dana Carvey. Yeah, and the crutch he was for us, <laughs> which is his bush. Denver. Dana, this uh, we had to tell Dana something that I don't think any comedy writer has ever yeah told any any other performer is that we would write something that about what happened that week or like I remember one we wrote about drugs and it was something like you know it was written like this vial of uh you know of crack Crack was found uh crack cocaine was found you know in lafayette park across the street from the white house this hypodermic needle was found in the white house lawn and this you know bag of coke cocaine was found three feet from my desk it's bad. It's bad. Okay. It's bad. bad. Okay. bad. Yeah. So that was the progression, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. He would get so many laughs along the way in dress, in dress, you, doing his his physical stuff, doing the hand going out like mm-hmm. that and like that. And and he would get so many laughs that you would lose the through line. Sometimes you could, yeah. yeah. And so some, we'd have to tell Dana, don't get so many laughs. <laughs> yeah. Which I've, no one's ever told anybody else, but yeah. Dana also knew
2: exactly what to do. Yeah, he liked to use dress to sort of, you know, see what this baby can do, you know. And then you kind of like, you know, c- pull it back in a little bit. He was a, a rare kind of um, fearless performer, great improviser. I, I've shared a dais with him, this Phil Hartman thing at the Groundlings, uh, tribute to to fill on the you know, 25th anniversary of his death. And the evening devolved into Christopher Walken stories. <laughs> I can't exactly explain how we got there, but the point is we would each share like some weird thing that Walken had said at the show. But you knew that when Dana spoke, it was going to like blow everyone else's stuff away because his, his Walken impression, which... I don't think we ever did on the show. I don't think we ever met no. him. No, but we oh had Walking, of course. But his
0: Walking is is pretty incredible. What was the character that Tom and I wrote for Walking? I have worked on that too. the The, the
2: Continental, the, the Continental. He actually suggested that he 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 came in at the pitch meeting and oh, and right. it was a show from the fifties <laughs> that he remembered. It was this very suave, yeah, uh, and, super and uh, suave guy and and the camera would uh, playing to an unseen woman who was the camera pov and then but the she was constantly running away that was my little contribution to the thing but you guys but the, but we sort of discovered in working with him just the weird walkanny ness and so at this point he sort of celebrated for his weirdness but <laughs> you know this i mean i know you remember this when uh, for, for your audience, um, we would have these Monday night Meeting. pitch meetings, mm-hmm. which were really, it was more like the opening of parliament. It wasn't like a lot of substantive business was conducted. It was we would, in Lauren's office. When I was producing, I would sit in one of the two chairs facing Lauren's desk, and the host would sit in the other, and then you would have a place of prominence. And then and then people would go around, and they they'd pitch, like, fake ideas, you know, cavemen afraid of caves, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. And then, and they, they were funny, but... This was, but, th- this was uh, yes, you didn't have anything, but you... Yeah, but and, you were sort of... You it want was just the host to sort think you Okay, but tomorrow it gets serious business. Everyone's in town and they're working. And so at the very end, Lauren would always ask the host, like, did you, and anything you wanted to say and give the host the last word after hearing all these ideas? And because the host wouldn't know that a lot of these were just sort of, like, fake. Some of them became sketches, but he turns to Walken and says, Chris, did you have anything to add? And he goes, ape suits are funny. <laughs> Bears as well. <laughs> and that was that was the, the first time we heard that. <laughs> there was one thing I did want to, well, if I can just introduce something. One of the things that we definitely experienced in the early years of the show which just doesn't exist as a phenomenon anywhere is you know we were operating at a time when there were three major networks PBS and like like WPAX or something in New York you know basically a universe of like six maybe channels to mm-hmm. watch I remember we did a show with Cicely Tyson which was the highest rated show of all time which got a it was a blizzard a blizzard it was, blizzard. A, there it was a... fe- end of February talking heads of the music and people, I've heard theories about this, like I've heard there was a cold snap around the country. Also, the viewership is high in February because people, it's cold, they stay indoors, but also they've spent all their money over Christmas and so oh, on. The point is this, that show got like a 17 rating, which is to say 17% of all television sets in the country, This, which includes people who go to bed. It, nine o'clock at night, like my parents used to, you know? So, you you know, we got still got 17% of all the TV sets, not those that were on. And then a 42 <laughs> share, a 42 share. Yeah. And what I'm getting at is back in the seventies, you know, Sunday brunch was a big thing and we would go to the party, come home, maybe like five o'clock or something. You wake up, you go to a restaurant. I'm sure you and I had brunch many times during that, those years, but you would be sitting at your table and you would get up to go to the bathroom or something. And along the way, it was like crossing a stream by stepping on stones. You would hear people reciting sketches from the night before. Mm-hmm. And you could actually, you'd hear different versions of the same sketch or different sketches from the same show. Or, but you'd walk by and you'd know exactly what they were talking about. And it would be someone explaining the thing. And it was a real...
0: For you young petty, people, this is uh, the phenomenon. universe
2: that uh, that it was. Right now, I'm that sh- doesn't sure that simply doesn't exist anymore. There's no, it's so atomized, the whole TV landscape and viewership, you know. But I'm sure that people go to YouTube and. But not at the same time, is yeah. the thing. You know, there's no, there's not that moment of, you know, there weren't even really VCRs much. Talk about the uh,
0: advantage of having a small cast. The First, we had Jane Lorraine and Gilda, uh, Belushi, Aykroyd, Garrett Morris, and Chevy, and then Chevy left after, and, Billy, and, the, and, and then Billy Murray Billy came. Billy and I arrived at the same time. And, and you guys uh, shared an office. Shared an office, yes. Yeah. Talk about the advantage of that. Well, the show was 90
2: minutes then. It's 90 minutes now. I, I'm sure it's a, roughly the same amount of commercial time. They maybe allow a little more commercial time. I don't know, but the studio was the same—literally the same studio. So you had the same space to work in, but then with a much smaller cast and also much smaller writing staff. Not only could everyone appear several times a night; they had to. Right. And so you—you had—you had people. Like someone like Aykroyd, who was like, we worked him like a rented mule. You know, he would be in like five or six things. But people who would would come to the show, we'd give tickets to, and I'm sure you heard the same thing. Uh, one of the really exciting things, which we absolutely took for granted, and wasn't part of the broadcast, was the fun. They're sitting in the in the studio. They can watch the pieces off monitors that are strategically placed around, but. They generally sort of watch the whole thing where they, they have this, most of them have a bird's eye view and they're looking down, but they see like like a, a, a typical thing might be if there was a, a, like a, a set, a, a piece that actually involved a complicated story that had different sets. So, you know, passage of time. And it, you might see like Bill Murray walk out of a room like very casually and, and you know, with nice cool attitude. And then the moment he's off camera, He's swarmed by two uh, wardrobe changers and as he's running through the studio to get to the other set, they're taking his jacket off, putting on a different jacket, maybe smudging up his face like like it was an explosion or something, let's say. And then he enters uh, another room, again casually, having raced from point to point and then composing himself and there'd be this burst of like sometimes they would even get like applause and people at home must have been like i'm sorry what did what did he just do but it was you know? more
0: exciting and
2: people would tell me how thrilling it was to watch the cast be you know run through the studio p- uh, thrown into wigs makeup i feel
0: bad for the cast members when they're 17 or 18 or 20 that that is a problem and they only appear like once or twice a night or not or not at all sometimes not at all yeah yeah because of the featured players and i mean that's okay if you're a featured player i guess but like during those first years uh, the waiter if there was a waiter in a scene it was played by a writer yeah we we often uh,
2: <laughs> i mean you were a performer with you know and I, I had never had any performing ambitions but but even I, would, you know, asking questions in a press, I would be like, you know, a reporter in a press conference asking
0: a question, you know. Yeah. Okay, a couple of things I want to discuss. I auditioned for Update. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think when Kevin Nealon left, and there yeah. was an audition, and I really wanted, you know, all, I had worked on the show for like 13 years at that point or something like that. I really wanted to be the update, and instead it went to Norm MacDonald, who was great. Okay. And, you, and it was the best thing that happened to the show. Because of it, I finally left the show, and then I, I wrote Rush Limbaugh as a Big Fat Idiot and other observations. I remember when I told you the title, <laughs> and you went, okay.
2: No, I, I thought it was funny. Yeah, yeah. But Norm was unbelievable. You guys would have done very, very different Types of
0: updates. Well, I, you know, yeah. I think it, part of it was I was known by at that time as a left, you know, a liberal. I, I always thought le- of you as more
2: partisan than ideological. Uh huh. So I mean, I don't think you're hard left, but you're you know absolutely a Democrat. Democrat.
0: Yeah. We should explain also that you were a a Republican, but a no, very... not, not no. I was never Republican. <laughs> I,
2: I was more. I started off as like a standard. Issue, you know, Harvard commie, you know, like not very thoughtful, hard left. Oh, I
0: did not know. Yeah, you had well, that period. in the
2: early years, but I, I, for a very long time, I guess I would describe my politics as like old school Democrat, you know, liberal, very lefty on
0: economic issues.
2: <laughs> but we we worked together well. I don't think we we.
0: No, I think it was a good combo, and yeah. and you checked me if I wrote something that was yeah, partisan yeah. I think you, you became more,
2: more highly political, more like in the early 90s as opposed to... I mean, but it didn't matter much because I, I enjoyed making fun of George H.W. Bush. So did you.
0: But the Bush that we did was a very silly... Was a kind of, very... Well, that was Dana. Well, Dana kind of... Well, here's, here's the difference between like a George H.W. Bush and a Donald Trump. Bush, invi- after he lost... Invited Dana to the White House. Yeah. After Dana and and Dana had dinner there, and st- yeah. he and Paula stayed for the night. But we, it wasn't a mean. No,
2: and and it was. Um, but can you imagine? Also, he didn't, Trump he didn't engender like rage among a lot of people the way his son did, you know, and especially Trump. Right. I mean, there were not a lot of people who just hated. <laughs> That's mean, true. And Barbara Bush's wife was 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 one of the most popular first ladies in terms of she was like a sweet old granny type, you know. But but like what Dana did with with Bush, it it started started as an impression but then took on a life of its own
0: and evolved. Actually, he didn't have it the first time we or the first few times we did it. He didn't have the we remember the debate sketch with Lovitz and yes. uh, Lovitz is Dukakis, and uh, and and Dana is Bush, and I can't believe I'm losing this guy. Yeah, was this that line? Was you, yeah, that was that was you. That was, but it was all the setup. Yeah. So the setup was
2: the Dana as Bush. But remember, we also didn't did he needed Dana needed like extended speeches to really get into that his kind of Bush thing, and that that was a more tightly scripted piece. That the debate piece, the right? Yeah. but Jan Hooks Diane Sawyer. Keeps that was that was to me the the great element. I mean, she was so funny in that piece. Thousand points of light, stay the course. Thousand points of light. You have three minutes, <laughs> you know? and then and then he would go well, and he thousand, thousand points, points of light. light. Yeah. Uh, you know whatever uh, he would just say these catchphrases, and you go, you still have a minute forty, <laughs> Mr. President. Um, and that's 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 when Lovitz does the I can't believe I'm losing to this guy.
0: Yeah, and that was a big laugh, but it was because of the setup. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't the show making a big editorial statement.
2: Yeah, as much as it might have seemed. We're
0: gonna take a break for a moment. We'll be right back.
1: Ready to pop the question? Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
0: Let, let's uh, talk about some of the... Uh, Jack Handy, who's a great writer. Yeah, he's brilliant. brilliant Un- man. Unfrozen caveman lawyer. What are some of uh, Jack's... Uh, well, unfrozen caveman lawyers, uh,
2: well, just his deep thoughts stuff. You know, he, he and I have what we have good reason to believe may be the world's longest running practical joke. I think I've told you about this, but since like 1986 or 85, whenever we contact each other, uh, we get on the phone calling as an attorney, suing each other. So when he answers the phone, and now he will just answer as an attorney. But this has been gone on now for... <laughs> 14, 37 years, 37 <laughs> or 38 years, and we still, and then he will send me emails, like uh, telling me that um, he took the liberty of canceling my <laughs> COVID test or something, you know,
0: and I'll, you know, but it's all threatening. It's always just um, intimidating. But Jack wrote a piece about a giant who lived next door or some...
2: Uh... I, I'm trying to remember the name of the piece, but it was a, he, Tom Hanks was a giant businessman mm-hmm. and he's living. Next door is some teenagers, and the teenagers threaten him. The te- cause he calls to complain about the noise from their party, uh-huh. and then they, they threaten him. It's <laughs> just... <laughs> It's Tom Hanks with like a little tiny phone, a little tiny briefcase calling the Witness Protection Program for help. It was just a genius Jack Handy kind of
0: thing. And when I learned, and he set it up perfectly, and when the punch came, which is that he was so scared of them, even though he was a giant... That he he wanted to flee. I laughed so hard and for so long that I had to leave the read through. But yeah, yeah. But you, I would see you laugh. You were a great laugher.
2: To have someone laughter is I, the
0: oxygen of comedy. No, we did have
2: there. Were, I've seen it. You've seen it. Sometimes there'd be like political laughter or non laughter mm-hmm. at read throughs. Where like people would aggressively want to support a piece by mm-hmm. laughing really hard, and then sometimes you just see people scowling. If they disapproved of the comedy or something, yeah, this you is not and, about uh, politics. I know, uh, no, no, p- p- no, I, politics, I, I politics mean, as I, I, yeah, I, don't, I mean, office politics, not, yeah, not, yeah, yeah. but, but, you were, um you were always a great laugh because you had a very loud laugh, that kind of Minnesota foghorn kind of thing that cuts, tends to. No, it's you know, it's not okay. criticism. I, the reason I brought that up is because my laugh is sort of quieter, and I don't. So, in other words, I, I don't help my fellow <laughs> writers as much when I laugh at their stuff. I mean, because I'm a very likely to just sort of smile to myself, and it makes no sound. So if you're sitting behind me, you could think, well, I could be hating it. Or, But but anyway, it was Kevin Nealon wrote this piece where he's a businessman who's been kidnapped by Phil Hartman, who's this ex-con named Mace, Mace. who's like wearing a wife-beater T-shirt, and he's got the tattoos and everything. He's uh, kidnapped audience. Kevin. Kidnapped Kevin. I mean, has him tied up to a chair, and it's in like some seedy like a motel or something and for for listeners who may remember the piece it's Phil has his, the voice is like, listen, if you're real smart, you're going to get that ransom, you hear me? Because I'm a bad, bad mother. I'm a bad, bad apple, and I'm rotten to the core. You see this gun? It shoots bullets. Bang, bang. And, and so Kevin's like, absolutely, I'm going to do whatever you say, sir. I, I promise I'll do whatever you, you damn right you're going to do what I say. And so the whole, the whole joke of the piece is Kevin keeps Escaping, but Phil keeps forgiving Phil him. keeps leaving the
0: room, and Kevin keeps... Instantly escapes. And he goes,
2: What did I just get you? What did I just say? This is a gun. Don't you see what this is? This is a big, bad gun. This is a gun. It put a big hole right through the head. You're absolutely right, sir. You're absolutely right. I, it was stupid what I did. I will not be repeated. I promise you. It better not be! Better not be. (laughs) Then Phil would leave the, and Kevin would instantly try to escape, (laughs) and then the whole cycle would repeat itself. Anyway, Phil happened to be sitting next to me. The the, Lauren would sit at the had the whole end of the table, and then the host would sit to one side of Lauren. I would sit, and this because you're the producer at this Uh, point, and and you were you know close by, but but the cast would be seated along the table, okay. too. And so Phil just happened to be sitting next to me. And that voice, I'd never heard before. None of us had. That was a brand new character. And it's just the, the yeah. intensity and the volume of it just... I started just completely losing my shit. And Lauren was looking at me like... And because I had never... And I was laughing so hard, I, I convulsed. But I, I just... I remember that because... I don't think I ever had quite that response to anything. Did you have to leave the room? I had to leave the room. I didn't show. I didn't leave the room because it was probably too hard to get out. <laughs> <laughs> Remember those read throughs as they got as bigger as and bigger. Staff got mushroomed and mushroomed. It became incredible. Did we ever have
0: a read through in Lauren's office?
2: No. Yes, we did. We, we did. There was they were working when I in the early years of the show
0: which is not go, very big that office.
2: No. But we we used to go down to the room above the studio, which is now they've redesigned it. So it had a window onto the studio, but it was otherwise windowless. And there was a table there. It was very quiet. But as I remember, we were able to comfortably fit all the writers, all the performers, and, and such crew members as needed to be there. But then they were working on it. And we had a couple of read-throughs in Lauren's office, which is a capacious office, but we were on top of each other. Now it's, it's the last time I attended a read-through because when I returned to the show, it's a long story, but I left the show really the same time you did in the sense of going to read-throughs, that kind of thing, in 95. And I, I went back to a read-through in 2008. I had been writing, but I was writing from home. And anyway, and I, I was, it was so crowded. There had to be 90, 100 people in a room that I'm sure the fire marshal would have said, no more than 40, you know. It's the show is... But no one's ever gotten hurt. No, I never, I, there
0: were no fatalities for sure. I was going to talk about uh, Billy Madison. Okay. That's the thing you're most fa- famous for? Yeah, I mean, like I said,
2: I never got into this in order to be famous, but uh, of, of all the <laughs> things I've ever done professionally... You know, Adam asked me to—I I was actually up in Toronto working on a script that Lauren wanted me to participate on. While I was there, Adam—we uh, were, like, staying in the same hotel and stuff, and he he, he asked me to, to do this part, and— they let me rewrite it so that I could add some stuff in into it. And uh I added the thing that I used to this is say is Farley. Uh, the principle of I was, yeah, that was the the premise was an academic decathlon where uh Adam's character Billy Madison is is competing against um Bradley Whitford of Later of the West Wing. Yes. Who by the way was really funny in that movie. Mm-hmm. And I think later I saw him at the Emmys one time and this is at he got an Emmy for the West Wing or something and, and I, I went to the, the party for the West Wing people with Lawrence O'Donnell, who was my college roommate and everything. He looks across the, the room and sees me and th- the first words out of his mouth were, That was a long time ago.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> like I think he was worried I was gonna go, hey, Billy Babson. <laughs> anyway, so I'm the I'm the principal and <laughs> I and 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 Adam's given a um Discuss something about the Industrial Revolution, and then, and they do it with a dissolve. So he starts on this crazy saying where he's talking about a children's book or something, and then I just, you know, give this uh, the thing about it's become a meme where I just go, um, Mr. Madison, what you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I've ever heard. At no point. In your rambling, <laughs> incoherent uh, commentary, were you even close to anything <laughs> that could be considered a, a rational thought? Everyone in this room is now dumber <laughs> after having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Okay, so that was that thing. But anyway, that 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 thing has become a bit of a meme and it it, it resurfaces people you know, attach it to, you know, when someone says something stupid, you know,
0: which <laughs> happens a lot. So, no. <laughs> well, uh, what did we not cover that we want to talk about, that you want to talk about? Want well, to talk about like uh, Change Bank or? Well, that that was,
2: Change Bank was a, an ad that I did that I had actually written for Kevin Nealon and um, because he seemed – Tell people,
0: remind people what okay, change, well, change Bank is. Change
2: Bank, there, there was this type of ad that was very big in the 80s <laughs> where they started introducing <laughs> – I love that we're just explaining. Talk, I know. <laughs> talking heads. It so was like 40 years head, ago. Sort of like a real person. Kind of explaining like whatever their their business is, what we do. People, and like, I um, think they still do these. Nah, yeah, because they're something. cheap. They're cheap to do, and, <laughs> and anyway. So the idea was um, a bank that that all it does is actually make change. <laughs> so you bring in like a ten dollar bill, and we'll give you two fives. Or and and Al, Al, I think, will you've been one of the people who likes to point this out to me that one of my favorite tropes of comedy or crutches or (laughs) whatever, um, is that I, I, I like the comedy of laboriously, painstakingly at great length, explaining something to someone that doesn't need any explanation that they already get. This thing was a guy explaining, I mean, you could say like all the bank does is make change, but it's, it's this sort of overexcited guy, or well, too excited for the material going like, at um, uh, it, it, first Citywide Change Bank, uh, you can, uh, if you have a $10 bill, we can give you two fives. We can give you uh, 10 singles. We can give you uh, 25 quarters and, and five singles. We can give you, and, and he's just going through, and you're way ahead of him is the point. Yes. And then, but he just, oh, we give you five twos. <laughs> you know, and, and, and so it's the excited guy. So the, when the, the, I wrote the, it for Kevin, yeah. but but uh, when we were – I'm literally, you know, talking about rehearsing it. I found myself being unusually aggressive in terms of giving him notes. Mm-hmm. And Kevin very nicely said, like, you know, Jimmy – you know why don't you do this? I mean, no, fa- I mean he wasn't. It wasn't like okay, you do it if it, you you know. It was it was a very sweet kind of look. I'm i would I, happy to be in it. I can be one of the people giving testimonials. <laughs> but why don't you do it? And I sort of said like, I forgot that there were testimonials of people. Yeah, who, yeah, yeah. And yeah. and so I said like, yeah, that's yeah. I mean, because you know, I never like proposed myself to be in something. You're but not aggressive this, at all. This but. was something where. It was sort of my lack of camera presence worked to my advantage. Right. You seem you like a, a... Because well I seemed a... like a guy who talks too fast. You seemed like an employee at the yeah, stage. Yeah, a, like a, a, a regular stage stage. sort of mid-level kind of guy. And, and so... What was, uh, the testimonies would be... Would be w- w- were our cast who performed very... They performed more. They were, had more of that presence. And it was like... Nora had a thing where she goes like... Um, I was about to get on the New Jersey Turnpike... And I realized I, I didn't have any change at all. And then I noticed up ahead an exit with a sign for First Citywide Change Bank. Let me tell you, it's a pretty good feeling. You know, that kind of, <laughs> okay. So, and then it was just me explaining, we can, if you have a 20, we can, get, you know, and I'm doing more uh, combinations. <laughs> so. That was like the, you know, sort of a, I've, I've done lots of pieces that, you could sort of break down and go. It's another example of someone explaining something that doesn't really need to be explained.
0: Well, but that was though, know, a perfect example of that. Um. So tell about blurry because oh, we wrote this oh, piece. Yes. There was this was an early
2: piece that you and I wrote. Probably, in pro- I'm going to say 19. 19- yeah, it was 1977. <laughs> and okay, so that's 20 to 46 years ago. Okay. than 40, 46 years ago. It was a piece where, as I remember, you think of cynical people, like, kind of worldly-wise, kind of, like, seen it all, kind of, as they tend to be intelligent, they you know, mm-hmm. sophisticated, you know, kind of eye-rolling, kind of, oh, really, yeah, I'm, I've been there, not impressed, kind of thing, you know. But we like the notion of a really dumb person who is very, very cynical, mm-hmm. like that combination of stupid and yet... Bitter, you know, yeah. <laughs> and so we just started. I think it was your idea to, to to do the idea of a guy who he basically has never bothered to have his vision tested, but he's gone through life just that all this stuff had a big buildup. He when he checked it out, it was like, I, you know, I um so 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 because everything's all blurry. And right. so the, the the thing is, it was a very strange thing. It's it a bus. Jill Clayburgh, the actress, the late Jill Clayburgh, yep. was on a bus. It's a, a cross country bus, and we, we we naturally when we had the idea, we went right to John Belushi in mm-hmm. the casting. And so it begins with her saying to John Belushi, who's sitting, she's on the window, he's on the aisle seat, and she says to Belushi. You know what? I was going to go doze off because I'm really sleepy. If you want to switch seats, you can have the window. It's like, why bother? There's nothing to see out there. She goes, oh, no, we'll be crossing the continental (laughs) divide at dawn. It's like I've seen it, just a blurry, shiny, celestial object, you know, rising over a fuzzily (laughs) outline so that it gets into – and she doesn't quite follow the first and and he said, It seems to me there's it seems like my whole life I've just been let down, disappointed by all this stuff that's supposed to be so great. I've been to I've been to Europe, been to the Louvre. So overrated. Just room after room of blurry, indistinct paintings and out-of-focus, shapeless, formless sculpture, (laughs) you know. (laughs) And so it was just, and she gradually figures out, have you ever had your (laughs) vision Yeah.
0: Anyway, so... uh, That was blurry. That was blurry, but uh, Belushi didn't want to do it at first. Okay, well, so anyway, so we do the piece, and it was,
2: I mean, we regarded that as as a very eccentric piece of writing. That was what we would have called like a 1245 kind of piece, meaning... You know, that was sort of our, like, you know, like a restaurant will have a downstairs jazz club, you know, kind (laughs) of. That was our, that after 1230, that last two sketches were where we would try more experimental stuff. Anyway, so that's what we sort of thought as, you know. And then, Lauren, it's picked for the show. And you and I had different offices, but maybe they were trying to get both of us, but they found me. So, Lauren, I get a call from Lauren's assistant, like, um, uh, can you come talk to Lauren now? He needs to talk to you. And so I come in to Lauren's office. It was like after Reeth, it was like seven o'clock at night or something, and Belushi's sitting there <laughs> across of Lord. And Lauren goes, Jim, uh, John doesn't understand the piece. <laughs> so I go like, Really? You know, and he goes, Yeah, and what's funny about it? He was all, kind of like a little like hostile. Sure. And so I go like, I go, Well, okay, it's just you're just a, a dumb guy <laughs> who you desperately need glasses. You have really like like you need like Coke bottle glasses. I mean you you know, you 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 just have terrible eyes and instead of addressing the problem, you've just allowed yourself to become bitter <laughs> about
0: about everything It's <laughs> which so, is a very deep yeah. uh kind of it's a great understanding activity, yeah. of of human nature. Yeah. So goes, I, don't, <laughs> I don't I don't get it. This had that get dimension it. of yes. and he, and he, So he's kinda like and I go, well, okay.
2: And uh, and Laura goes, well, well uh, all right, well, okay. And so I go back to my office. Which you share and, with and, Bill. And, which I share with Bill Murray. And so Billy had said, I should have mentioned this, Billy had said after we read through, God, that piece was funny. God, I love that piece. <laughs> That's so great. And I'm going, oh, well, thank you. And, I, and, and in a way I felt sort of like, you know, because we'd written it for Belushi, and I, and I go like, yeah, well, I mean, um, well, thank you. That's really great. And so and, I And so, I was, go meet they, blue, and go so then, Warren's and office. then, so then, Billy, I said, like, he said, what was that about? And I go, like, um, oh, and John doesn't want to do the piece. He, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll totally do it. <laughs> Let, I can do that. Let me, I can do that. I know how to do that. Let me do that. I know exactly how to play it. Let me do that. And I go, really? That's Great. So I, I, I go to, back to Lauren's office and I go, um, hey, Lauren, I, I just talked to Billy. And Billy, you know, has, he doesn't have so much to do in the show, that he can't, and he wants to do it. He's totally, he's eager to do it. So if John doesn't want to do it, you know, that's fine. And he goes, really? Okay, great, great. So, so I go back to the office, and I tell Billy, hey, that's great. great. <laughs> and Billy's all excited. And then two minutes later, exactly the amount of time it took Lauren to, to call Belushi and say, don't worry, John, we're giving it to Billy. Lauren calls it, it's Lauren's always saying, "No, John will do the piece," now. <laughs> and it was clearly he heard Billy. It's an actor thing. You know, he heard Billy do it, and then he wanted to do it. And it's a brilliant piece, if I say so I know, myself. I know that John Mulaney is a big fan of the piece, so that's that's good for
0: me. And, and well, you, yeah, you uh, speaking of which, you worked with so many great people that I didn't get a chance to work with. That's right. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I, I
2: returned. I should explain. I did come back to the show. We both left the show in 95. You, on your own, I was fired. And then... You were fired because... Uh, the, yeah, I mean, it was a big house cleaning. I mean, it was the was right all, thing to do. No, you were oh, fired because of Allmire, right? Oh, that's true. No, Olmayer was... I forgot. You're right. You are you right. I was fired, fired twice by Olmayer. <laughs> but but um, because that's right. It was the OJ jokes... Two times. Okay, explain that. So
0: Norm, uh, again, I auditioned for that, and Norm got it, and it was the best thing that happened to both of us and to America, I think, that Norm and you did a great update. Well, thank you. At the end of the 93,
2: 94 season, so May of 94, Olmeyer had come to the network, and he was very— Don Olmeyer. —most aggressive— Network exec the show had ever dealt with, and he had lots of ideas. We were used to dealing with sort of genteel types like Brandon Tartikoff, who was you know really funny, and and Lauren especially could sort of make Tartikoff laugh and schmooze him. Whoever O'Meyer was like, a, that's not funny, you know. He was more of a bully mm-hmm. type, and so he Ohmire, came from sports. He came from sports. He was a sports <laughs> director, and and so he it was a ruin Arledge. That's right, day. and he he um. He didn't like Update, and Kevin was doing Update. I don't think it was mostly Kevin's fault, but they basically said, he's out, Kevin Nealon is out, and Kevin was a beloved figure of the show. None of us would ever have wanted to move him off of anything, but they made the decision that Kevin was not going to be allowed to do Update again, and so that was the thing where, it was. remember Bill Maher had the backing of Bernie Brillstein?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't yeah, know that.
2: Oh, I didn't I didn't okay. know that. I didn't, well, that, I it thought was a complicated it complicated thing it do was it. not no. <laughs> Norm emerged Norm emerged late. It was the big competition was was it going to be you or Bill Maher? and Bernie was very actively campaigning for Bill and against you. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, just, I thought you knew that. I'm sorry. I, so, I didn't know any of this. I just okay. no I didn't get it. But but anyway, so and I did and think, I, was bitter. I did think Norm but I didn't, you know, once, you know, it wasn't going to be you, I felt, well, then can it please be Norm Macdonald and not Bill Maher? You know, not that not, it wasn't an anti-Bill Maher thing, which is definitely between the two of them. It was absolutely Norm. This, so it's so the summer of 94, okay, mm-hmm. when the final decision was made. And so that literally when I was out, I was summoned out to Burbank for a meeting with me and Lorne and— and um around the table with Rick Ludwin and now deceased NBC exec and, and Warren Littlefield and, and Olmeyer, The meeting literally ended because it was a very unpleasant meeting because Olmayer, like, being very sort of bullying, he was telling us what had to change everything. And then the only thing that got us off the hook was visiting hours at L.A. County had started. He went to go see O.J., who had just been, you know, uh, and he was. He and O.J. Up. were really close friends. Very close friends from sports. They're, they're big buddies. So the first Norm update was the fall of 1994. I was, I was brought back as producer on Sufferance. They had read me the riot act like you better start being funny, you know. And so Norm, so we did, you know, because it was O.J. stuff, so it was pretty give, much. Give an
0: example of a, a joke that Norm
2: told um, well, I'll give you some of my favorite. Um, there was a um, there was a certain type of OJ joke we would do, which was usually a, a OJ a self-owned kind of joke. You know, so you have to understand the trial lasted like the whole season. That went on and on and on. So we were able to do at least one or two O.J. jokes every week mm-hmm. for all 20 shows of that season. Okay, okay and, so here's
0: the example. And we're remembering that Allmire and O.J. are
2: really close Okay, and, close and so a, t- a typical O.J. joke would be like, um, this week at the O.J. Simpson trial, F. Lee Bailey, Simpson attorney F. Lee Bailey, speculated, if only we knew Ron Goldman's last words, we might be close to finding the real killers. Well... I don't know. But personally, I think his last words were probably, hey, you're O.J. Simpson. (laughs) And another one was, uh, was O.J. Simpson high on drugs the night of the murders? Absolutely not, said an indignant Simpson. And a simple test of any of his blood found at the crime scene will prove it. (laughs) You know, so it was those, you know. And so we did those. And then literally the verdict came down the Monday of the first show of the next season. Mm-hmm. The not guilty verdict. So mm-hmm. then we did that for the next year. Mm-hmm. and then, Until you were fired. Well, no. And then the third oh. season. Wow. So Norm did update 94, 95, 95. 96. You got away. With no, this. we <laughs> did it. We did OJ jokes. Oh, then there was the civil trial. That was the third season of Update. And then finally, what happened was Norm's fourth year, which began in the fall of 97, that was the fourth, it was 94, 95, 96. That's right. His fourth year of doing Update. <laughs> There was no OJ news. So and we were like, we would have loved to do it because we had gone like 60 straight updates with at least one OJ joke, at least one, and often two or three. But suddenly, he really wasn't in the news. He, the civil trial was over and done. And so there was nothing. And then literally, we do nine shows before Christmas, right? So we do shows one through eight. There's nothing. There was no O.J. jokes. And I heard no complaints, you know. And then finally, there was a news story about um, O.J. had been asked. He was going to a restaurant in Brentwood. And the manager said, I'm sorry, Mr. Simpson, but um, uh, several of the customers um, are uncomfortable with your being here. And would you mind? And so Simpson sued them and got like, like 500 bucks or something. And then that same week, there was a story about Latrell Sprewell, who played for the Knicks. Uh, had gone lost his mind at a practice and started choking P.J. Carlissimo, the coach, and he was represented by Johnny Cochran. <laughs> so that update after having done no O.J. stuff mm-hmm. all season long, suddenly there were two. There was a the O.J. joke was the thing about um the Simpson, you know, one, you know, five hundred dollar judgment in addition the restaurant must now establish murderer and non-murderer sections, <laughs> and then the other one was uh, Johnny Cochran, you know, announced a press conference and has vowed to find the real choker. Okay, so that was update the Christmas show update, and
0: the, the next, real, uh, uh, two uh, days later, later two yeah. days later, I got the call that we were fired. But uh, and I understand that at one point Olmeyer wanted you out. That what he
2: actually wanted me out more, and they said to Norm. I only learned this much later through from Ludwin. Told me this real story, which was that the network had gone to Norm and said, "Downey isn't helping, and we get him out." And Norm said, "No, no, no, I'll quit if you fire him, I quit." And they said, "It's crazy, you know, no, you don't need him. We get, we'll get you something better." And and Norm refused, and he never told me that. That's amazing. He, I mean, yeah. And so... What a testament. I know, it's great. His character. And and so, and by the way, he, you know me, I've I've never been the most responsible person. I sort of, it was kind of fun. I mean, for one thing, the most positive love and feedback I ever got, you know, Chevy was calling all the time, Jerry Seinfeld, all these people. It was an incredibly unpopular (laughs) decision that they made. And they, I think... I can never tell if, if Ohmire truly believed this or, or he won. Because the public thing was uh, the segment wasn't working. It, was, it wasn't funny. And I remember Ohmire saying in interviews, like, look, I, I, you know, I, maybe, I don't know anything. I don't know everything. But sometimes if I'm not laughing, but the audience is laughing, okay, I can live with that. But when I'm not laughing and nobody else is laughing, then we got a problem. I would say that was not far from the case. So when they made that decision, this was the last, this is 1997. There was the last time there were still like newspaper clipping services, you know. Because nowadays, you know, they, people go, what the hell is that? <laughs> but no, there used to be, you'd, right. you know, you'd pay to whenever they'd flag mention of you. And the thing and NBC had it. So at first, they were forwarding all this stuff to us. Then they decided, no, no, we're... We're not paying for that anymore, and I was getting it from a friend at CBS. We had there was exactly one person in all of the entertainment world who thought who agreed with their decision. It was Marvin Kitman uh, of the, Newsday. The, uh, yeah, uh, Newsday. Newsday, yeah. yeah Long and and um, but um, which almost was perfect, you know. Yeah. But no, no, the, we um, it, it was great. I mean, we, the support was great. Norm, you know. It was personally much harder. You know, I had saved money and, you know, and, and Norm, uh, but they wanted him to come and just do sketches. And Norm didn't want to do that. So he quit. My son's health insurance depended on my continued employment at that time. And so I had to write sketches for the show. They, they removed me from Update. And they wanted me badly. This your Writers Guild insurance, yeah. and you needed to be vested, and you needed. Yes. Okay. And at the time, they wanted me to quit, and they 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 tried different ways, but I couldn't <laughs> afford to quit. And so I I agreed that I would turn in submit sketches each week to read through, you know. Otherwise, they would void my contract, so I had to turn in pages. But I I, I wrote things that I thought were pretty funny. But I, I were also use,
0: unusable for them. Um, well, I think we should should wrap up. But you're not. Are you writing now? You're- well, I, I, I I'm
2: the last couple times. I'm mean, occasionally. I know you you have this thing too, where something will occur to you. Like generally. well, we
0: we submitted a piece. Yes, uh, that was your idea, really. But I mean, I, this is a guy on his deathbed in Pennsylvania, very old. His family's gathered around, and he's obsessed that they, if he dies before the election day, that his family call in and say that his absentee ballot doesn't count. They tape now the read-through. Do you know this? They, they have a video camera, and, boy, did it they die really read-through?
2: They do. Oh, I didn't. Man, see, I used to, when I returned to the show. And, boy, that in, room looked in, crowded. In 2,000 to write sketches, I worked from home and and I would um I didn't go to the read-throughs because at this point it's so I suddenly I developed like claustrophobia but the one time I went to a read-through in 2008 it was like man it was it was almost scary how crowded that room was <laughs> and I so I would pay, I they gave me like an assistant who would work with me you know on on Wednesdays to I would dictate my pieces over the phone
0: from Cooperstown
2: from Cooperstown or New York, but okay. mostly from Cooperstown. And I, I just like uh, you know, you and I came up writing late at night. Mm-hmm. We'd also write during the day too. But but when I came back to the show in the fall of two thousand as a staff writer again for the first time since my firing, I um I generally wrote early in the morning, like 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 from eight until like 11, 12. and then I would call it in and dictate it like noonish, you know. And and uh, so I never, I went from, I went, well I still write in legal pads, you know, and then yeah and we then, I was okay. the first uh, writer the on the show to have a word processor. You were a I pioneer a in that, and I remember so many times sitting with you, on a on a generally, it was scarier when it happened like Wednesday morning early. We were trying to get something in for read through, and because it used to be when we first wrote together. With if it was like say you me and Tom, either you or I would have the pad, and we would be we would you know, talk the piece out.
0: Having the pad means writing
2: down. What... Writing yeah, writing down, agreeing on on the the thing. But but the way we would write together, we have the premise, we have the the, the joke area, but it's choosing the exact wording of the joke, which makes a huge difference, right? And so that's, we that's would writing. each like you might say something. And go okay, how about and then you go, oh, oh, how about, and so we refine each other's stuff, right? And anyway, the problem with that stuff is, is some of it's so kind of wispy, you really got to get it when you say it, you got to write it down, because if you, if you don't write it down, and you go, what was that thing you said a minute ago? And you try to recover it, and even if you, if you do remember what you said, you don't trust that you remember it, you go, no, no, it wasn't that, well, you said something else. You would have the word processor, and we would so, be writing. Oh, this is called And, a word and we'd, be, we'd be riffing and stuff, and and then you'd, and then suddenly you go, now, now, and I go, what? You go, no, no, Al, what, what, what the fuck? And and now and then you would not want to tell me what had happened, but some, it had just disappeared. That thing we had just been working on for like three hours was like gone. And it wasn't like, oh, go to the wastebasket. It's, it's crumpled up. No. It was in
0: cyberspace. And I and I would, because I was always... Normally, I remember it more that it just uh, froze or that, that it had been filled. But sometimes
2: you, and then you would lean out the door of your office, because we often worked in your office, and you would be yelling for the IT person or mm-hmm. whoever to come. And, and usually we found it. <laughs> it was like he, you had to hit some Control recoverable. P-irritory. But there were times mm-hmm. when you know, I'm sorry, we're going we're gonna to have to re. I'm doing an impression <laughs> of you, by the way. Yeah, I'm sorry, we're going to have to uh, re. And I go, and I would, be, I would get so pissed off. And I'd go, Oh, this is really,
0: you're sure this is the. Boy, way I can't of the believe how old we sound. Well, it's the truth. I mean There you go. No, we're we're, As we say we're in Minnesota we're
2: experienced. We're uh <laughs> This is history. When we pass Who will remember you know, those yeah. those days? Well thanks, Jim. Well thank you. That was fun.
0: Well, I, I hope you enjoyed uh, listening. That beautiful music is by Leo Kotke, the great Leo Kotke. I wanna thank Peter Ogburn for producing this podcast. We'll talk again next week. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey.
1: The early 2000s was a wild time for reality TV. There seemed to be an endless supply of shows that delivered entertainment for us, but trauma for children. I'm Misha Brown, the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each week on The Big Flop, comedians join me to chronicle the biggest pop culture fails of all time and tried to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? We recently looked behind the scenes of what was really going on at Abby Lee Miller's dance studio. Abby's biggest misstep wasn't screaming nonsensical catchphrases or throwing chairs on television, but instead, she was choreographing financial fraud in plain sight. Join me to break down all the wild details of Abby Lee Miller's story. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Big Flop early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus